Before today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences we personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So get comfy and let's discuss death. Welcome to Mort Mike, a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. I'm Jem. And I am Red, and we're your mortuary media moguls for the third time. The third and final time. The third and final time. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> Sequel. So this week, um, we are continuing our little delve into death care and death-related topics in media. So episode one, a few months back, we brought you television shows and movies. Uh, Last episode, we went through some really cool video games that tackled these topics. And this week, we saved some of the best for last. These are going to be books, uh, books about death, death care, and everything in between. Um, that we have read and definitely stuff that um, for those out there that are bookworms will be added to your list pretty much immediately. There's a lot of good stuff in this week's episode. Books. Even if you're not bookworms, I do not like reading, honestly, but I my personal library at home is literally like 99.9% death books and I've read all of them and they're all super great and I'm so excited to talk about them. Um, it's actually funny. It's like one of the talking pieces. People that like come into my home, if they like take a look at my bookcase, they're like, so you like death, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, very proud of my collection. I'm so excited to talk about it. I actually, you don't know this, Jem, but you're the reason that I started my own like death book collection. Because um, I, I had gone to Jem's house and saw his incredible uh, bookshelf. <laughs> and like he, he rented out, he, he did like a library thing where he allowed me to borrow a few of the books. And I'm like, yeah, yeah this is pretty cool. I think I'm going to do this too. <laughs> It's very cool. And there are like so many good books out there. Definitely excited um, to talk about the classics. And for those of you who hear the word uh, death classics and you have no idea what we're talking about, I think some of the like there's like a bunch of books that people in the death care industry have read. If you like reference the author, like everyone knows what you're talking about. One of those books being the Kubler-Ross book. Uh, This is a book called On Death and Dying, and it was published in 1969. So one of the first... Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I wrote this, I was like, I bet that Red's going to say that. And then I totally forgot about it until right now. Oh, no, I'm predictable. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the first books um, kind of tackling death as more of a less of a self self-help topic and more of a like educational experiential topic uh so basically the book is this dr kubler ross uh her accounting on dealing with dying patients and death in the medical field and you know dealing with families and all of that kind of stuff and this is back in 1969 so i mean that was so long ago just like think about that but this is like 
this is like a classic of like what you know um kind of an experiential guide on like how to handle death in these sort of situations it's pretty much a staple for like a mortuary science college. Like they make you read it uh, during your like psych classes and stuff. So Kubler-Ross is actually the, I guess, quote unquote, developer of these stages of grief um, mechanism that we all learn and love in uh, uh, mortuary science psych classes. Uh, Red, I'm sure you could rattle it off for me, <laughs> for me right now. See, Dabda. I, Dabda. Yeah. No, honestly, um, I'll, I'll run us through it, but I will say before I do, um, I hate it. I hate her stages of grief. I hate it just because it's not, it, it was great for its time, uh, but we have, I feel like in today's modern society, it doesn't apply as well. So it, everyone's very oh, familiar sure. with it. There's even like a like episode of Robot Chicken that does like a skit on this where <laughs> you go through the stage of denial to anger to bargaining and then you kind of start the incline back up to like depression and acceptance. Um, but the problem with this is that it's not like a straight line. Uh, some people start at different places. They oh, might yeah. start with anger or they might skip something completely or they might regress back into one of the stages so i feel like people utilize it very inappropriately they just think okay i start here and i end here like that's not how that works yeah so. sure when i said no and love i meant it was like drilled into our heads as students oh that's fair um, i'm sorry I, oh <laughs> we're fine. starting the soapbox real early this episode <laughs> of course well and you know thinking about it so dr kubler ross is a medical doctor um you know it's in academia too, like, you know, especially back then, it's step by step. This is how it is. This is what the research shows. Um, but now in the age of like, you know, getting in touch with your feelings and understanding that people process grief differently, obviously, it still is a good framework, but it's not like the said and done definition of everyone's grief, for sure. Aptly said. Definitely a interesting read, though, if you're interested in like, a death classic like if you want to you know sound fancy schmancy at your you know local funeral home dinner or whatever it is uh brush up on your kubler ross uh so the next book that i want to talk about is my original exposure to the death industry this is where it all started folks um this is a book called stiff by mary roach and Mary Roach is like a writer, journalist, but she wrote, um, she's written a lot of books on more like taboo subjects. Um, so this book she wrote on like cadavers and like what happens to you after you die, like your physical body, like what happens to your physical body after you die. And this was an 11th grade summer reading assignment for me. My English teacher was uh, especially macabre that year, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, from, you know, this, I was like little 11th grade gem. Like I, I had never really experienced any death. No one in my family had died. I had never been to a funeral. I didn't really know that funeral homes like as a job existed. So just reading this book for my summer reading assignment, I, it was the first book that I was like, I love this. I was like, I'm so interested. I want to know more. And it was the first kind of, uh, instance where you know i was reading about these funeral directors and these you know death professionals and in the back of my mind i was like i think that i could do this like i think that this is something that i want to do obviously fast forward a few years later 
uh, for me actually entering the death industry. But this was like the first like how it all got started sort of thing. And I think it was for Red too, right? Actually, yeah, mine uh, happened a little later on. It was uh, gifted to me by my family when I started my mortuary science college. And um, there was like a little note written on the inside of the cover that they, they wrote to me. It says, a little light reading to get you started. And I thought that was really cool. So interesting that we both, it was like our first our first book introduction yeah. to, to this. I still have my original copy from 11th grade. Oh, really? <laughs> it's like my one possession. I've like, I'm a... a terrible minimalist and I get rid of everything I own on like yearly cycles but it's like the one position I have from high school still it brings you joy you cannot get rid of it (laughs) (laughs) so if you have um, an interest in how bodies are handled post-mortem from um, you know more of an more of in a historical sense uh, she goes over cannibalism to cryogenics to body farms to uh, plastinization museums um, so that's a really interesting read. I would I would rec- I would recommend it to someone who doesn't want to get into the heavy stuff, but is still interested about the death industry and what literature is out there for them. So kind of to boast about my um, collection of books in a little bit of ways, I have this one book that I am extremely proud of. It's called Death and the Right Hand, and it's by Robert Hertz, which is a French man. So it was written in 1907 uh translated in 1960 to english but it's two essays in this one book two scientific essays one is about death and the other one is about the predominance of right hand in society what so (laughs) (laughs) you can kind of see like okay yep this book was written in 1907 for some reason (laughs) I found it in a used bookstore um, in New York City when I was living there, and it was like $2, and I just saw the word death, and I was like, I need that. And then I <laughs> I read it further, and I was like, what the heck? It's literally two totally separate essays that have nothing to do with each other in the same book. Um, I just think it's so funny. Maybe it's just um, like he didn't have enough content to like make a book on like them individually. So she's like, nah, (laughs) throw them together. Throw them together. (laughs) Um, But I actually, I do really like the death portion of the book. I think it's really interesting because it was written in 1907. So it's interesting to look back on some like thoughts about death, like back in that period. Um, One excerpt that I will quote just because I think it's very interesting and I'm very proud of this book. Death is a temporary exclusion of the individual from human society. Mourning is the necessary preparation of the living in the mortuary state of their relative and lasts as long as this state itself. Death consists in a dual and painful process of mental disintegration and synthesis. It is only when this process is completed that society, its peace recovered, can triumph over death. Jim, you got big brain. Like <laughs> I would have you guys to look can up go, uh, that. You can go replay that if you want. <laughs> I just I just love it. It's just old timey and it's so funny because it's like death and the predominance of the right hand because the left <laughs> hand is evil. I love it. So one that I had 
eagerly awaited reading for a while was Death's Acre. I had been chomping at the bit to do an episode on body farms, and I thought that this would be like a good starting point to uh, kick it all off with the man himself who started it, Dr. Bill Bass, a forensic anthropologist. Have you read this book, Jem? No, I haven't, but I've definitely heard about uh, Mr. Dr. Bill. <laughs> Mr. Dr. Bill. My my good friend. I'm just kidding. <laughs> my good friend, Mr. Dr. Bill. He's a very interesting person, though, for sure. Yeah, for real. Um, so this book timelines out um, his history leading up from him establishing what Patricia Cornwell, who's a, a mystery novelist, coined the body farm. And so this this book talks about many different interesting cases uh, in which he was able to use his skills to help identify bodies and uncover evidence to actually convict criminals. And it also goes into like success stories of his students who went on to establish their own methodologies to assist with like postmortem investigation and like actually are now commonplace practices uh, in order to help solve cases. There was really no research being done about this. And this is such an important part of forensics because, you know, especially when you're trying to ascertain like the time of death, you're trying to understand how to identify an individual that is severely decomposed or under, you know, um, certain environmental circumstances that have like changed the morphology of their body. This is like, this is so cool that he was just like, all right, we're going to take a bunch of you know, scientifically donated cadavers and we're going to put them out in the field in different environments and we're going to see what happens. And that's like science. I love it. Um, and it's, it's really cool because like some of the, the little theses that uh, his students went on to do stuff like, well, we don't like they'd be approached about like, well, how did this guy die? And they only have bones. And it's just like, well, it looks like a saw. And like, well, we need to know what kind of saw. Otherwise, we can't convict. And so like one of his students went on to just like buy hundreds and hundreds of different types of saws and just saw into bones with them to actually see what they look like at a microscopic level so they could use it in cases like just such cool, cool science in this book. Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite things that I heard about the bodies is that they would put like a body half in shade and half in sunlight and like see what happened to that body. It's like things you don't think about that, but like you need to know because that definitely affects the decomposition rate. If half the body is cool and half of it is hot, like what does happen? Right. Cool stuff. So unfortunately, uh, this book is older, and so there's not like a whole lot of meat and potatoes about the body farm itself. Um, it had only been up and running for like 20 years upon the writing of the book, and like another 20 has passed since the publishing of it. So like that's why I definitely want to have an entire episode about this because now we have a lot more to talk about. Like it's a nice jumping off point to start with this book, um, especially for people who like like true crime and science. But definitely just whets the appetite to be like, okay, now I need to go find out more because there's so much cool stuff that is uh, in and around this that has spawned mm -hmm. because this awesome doctor decided to do something kind of crazy. And now there are more body farms out there too, which is like just so wild how this is like carried and it's such important research to be done. Very cool stuff. On sort of a more lighthearted side, there are also a lot of these books around that are like kind of like... um short stories slash tell all books about the death industry. Obviously the lay person is not exposed to the behind the scenes aspects of like, you know, being a funeral director or like being a body removal technician. And people are curious. People want to know, like 
you know, uh, when people meet me and, you know, they find out or whatever, they're like, oh, what's, you know, tell me a story. What's, what's a good story that you have? And of course, always on the spot, I'm like, um, (laughs) (laughs) so this is a nice kind of collection of short stories that is an answer to that question. Um, so many of these stories are true. I think all of them are true. Um, they've been kind of, um, curated by two authors, but they are, um, true stories from people that either submitted them or people that the author spoke to. Um, obviously a lot of the stories have been like quote unquote sanitized to protect, um, the identities of certain individuals involved in the stories. Um, but these stories, they're well-written and they're interesting. Um, I read the whole thing and, um, all the stories are very different, but, you know, entertaining in their own way. You have the stories ranging from the unfortunate mortician who lost his wallet after sending off a body to another state, um, only to receive a call that his wallet had been found by the receiving funeral dresser in the decedent's coffin, (laughs) um, to a, a particular widow who was doing her due diligence to ensure that her husband was buried, um, commando. (laughs) There are even some more serious tales that showcase the best and worst of mortuary care because morticians are, you know, people just like you and me. And that's what I really like about this book. It kind of you know, gives that idea that, you know, we're just people and funny stuff happens to us too. So <laughs> this is actually the book that I uh, borrowed from Jem to start my own collection. So I, I own a copy of this now myself because of you. Yeah. It's just a very nice, also a light read. If someone's like, Hey, what's a good book about funeral directors? Like, I feel like this is a good one. Yeah. It's not too overwhelming. You can finish it in an afternoon, to be honest. It's, it's good. Mm-hmm. So this uh, next book is one I actually had mentioned in a previous episode uh, where we talked about um, postmortem photography and like death and dying photography. And it's called Beyond the Veil. Um, so that the episode we did on death art, we we kind of showcased this in, in the photography section. And like this is like aesthetically, this is a gorgeous book cover to cover. Uh, it's got like a black binding and like the pages are golden rims. And inside of it, Ooh. it's got 120 photos of death and mourning photography. And it ranges from like the Victorian era all the way through the 20th century. It was an absolute trip going through the familiarities of like modern funeral customs to peering into the customs of days of yore and like all the similarity and all the similarities and differences therein. This is a must-have as like a, a coffee table flip book for those that have little attention span for novels and the like, and just like looking at pictures. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some of these photos before on like the internet, but to have like a nice, like big, glossy, uh, like Red said, coffee table book with all these pictures in it, I, I would love this. I do not have this book yet. I feel like I must buy it now. <laughs> uh, but definitely, definitely a talking point. So another book that is kind of like a quote unquote like classic um, death industry book that's more non-fictional, sort of like biographical, um, like a research piece on the UK death system is Representations on Death by Mary Bradbury. And this was published in 1999. So this was one of the first in-depth public looks into the mortuary world. Um, when I was looking for books on death in like 2008, when I was a little 11th grader yearning for more books about death, 
Um, this was one of the few that popped up back then. So this was kind of a staple back before talking about death got popular or whatever. Um, but basically it's like a kind of a heavy, more educational research piece. If you're someone who wants to look into the more like sociological and historical aspects of like the UK death system, which is the death system that our death system was based off of. So if you want to read something more like that, I would recommend this book called Representations on Death by Mary Bradbury. Another lighter book that is kind of like a, a tell-all um, from someone who worked in the, in the funeral home business is Nine Years Under by Sherry Booker. And this is a kind of an autobiographical um coming-of-age story from an inner-city funeral home worker. And Sherry Booker started working at this funeral home when she was 15 years old, and she worked there for, you know, nine years, obviously, hence the title of the book. Um, and it's just another one of those books where, you know, you're like, funeral directors are people too. Like, it, it talks about aspects of the funeral home as a random 15-year-old who's coming to work there you know, she works her ways up the ranks. She never becomes a funeral director. She just works there as like, you know, uh, visitation staff, admin. Um, I think she does like, you know, helps out with, um, um, you know, all aspects of funeral homes as one would in like a smaller inner city funeral home. Um, so I, I thought it was really interesting to see that side of things because I have not worked in an inner city funeral home and it's definitely a different atmosphere, a different environment, but she's just a really good writer. And I think it's a definitely a more palatable way to explore like what it's like working in a funeral home at like, not as a funeral director, just as like a regular person. This sounds really interesting. I'm definitely going to have to check this one out. Yeah. Nine years under. It's also very easy to read. Um, very, very easy. Um, and I wanted to make like an honorable mention for all of those, uh, <laughs> anime nerds out there. <laughs> I have a manga in my collection called Kurosagi, K-U-R-O-S-A-G-I, Corpse Delivery Service. And this is a manga, uh, written and, um, illustrated by, uh, Eiji Otsuka, um, this is a manga where a group of college friends start a body removal and delivery service in Japan. This obviously immediately piqued my interest because oh that was one God. of my favorite jobs that I ever had. <laughs> of course, this has to be a little bit interesting for you know public consumption. So in um, the group of students use their special abilities in order to help the dead cross over. So I think one of them is like can see ghosts and talk to ghosts. Another one of them channels um, an extraterrestrial being through a hand puppet that he wears what? on his hand at all times. Um, and they just go around and like help these dead people like move on in life. And it's it's a little bit of like Japanese horror, but, you know, more so of like kind of like a slice of lifey type mystery um, story about these like college kids that are going around like picking up dead bodies and stuff. I don't know. I really, really like it. It's out of print, unfortunately, but you could might be able to find it on like one of those manga websites or whatever have you. Has manga gone too far? <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> I love it. And it's an older book. Like it, it got released like a while ago. So I just, I love it. I think it's so cool. I am, I am waiting with open arms for the anime adaptation to this. <laughs> 
when they finally end One Piece, they better start this. <laughs> Let's hope so. So, of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, a few of the works that were written by Caitlin Doty. She is the lead figurehead in youth, forward-thinking funeral industry practices, and death positivity. Um, honestly, I, I often get asked if I watch her videos and read her books. So I, I think it's high time that we finally cover some of her content. Yeah, we have talked about her like a lot in this uh, podcast just because she's like... Like Red said, like she's the she's the it girl in the death positivity industry, um, and has a lot to say and has a lot out there. Um, so she does have a couple books actually. I remember, yeah, back when I first got into reading death books back in the day, she only had the one mm-hmm. um, that came out, and we'll talk about it first. It's called Smoke. It's in your eyes. I, I read this book a while back when I was fresh out of mortuary science school, and so I don't remember like all the details, but I feel like this would be a good starting book if you're looking to get into Caitlin's work as her first book. So essentially what this uh, covers, it's like her autobiography on her path into and then through the death care industry. So like it starts with her time when she was a crematory operator and then moves on to her attending uh, mortuary science college. And then like why all of her collective experiences transitioned her into like what she advocates for today, which is like that demystification of the death and dying process, the death positivity, and also exploring alternative options after someone dies. Yeah, I um, I read this book as well, like right when it first came out, I think. And it's definitely just interesting, like it's, uh, you know, just about her life. And she kind of goes into some personal stuff about like, you know, she's from Hawaii and, um, you know, why she decided to get into like the niche sort of like um, soapbox that she's on all the time about death positivity and how she started, you know, the order of the good death and um, great things like that. So I, I, I did like reading it and like kind of understanding like where she came from and like how she started doing what she's doing. It's really good too if you're just interested in getting started on your own, you know, journey into death positivity. She also went on to write a book called From Here to Eternity, uh, which was actually gifted to me by my friend James for um, a Christmas present last year. So I finally got around to reading it. And um, this was a, a really fun read. And in it, she documents some of like the very uh, the varied funeral practices that we find around the globe. So like ones she actually got to attend and participate in herself. So like she explores like open pyre cremation society in Colorado, uh, ceremonies where the dead walk again in Indonesia, expressive festivities of the Dia de los Muertos in Mexico, and like a corpse hotel in Japan. There's so much more. It's really cool. That's one I actually haven't read yet, um, but that does sound really cool. You got me at Corpse Hotel. I was like, right? I was like, maybe. <laughs> and then Corpse Hotel, I was like, yep, gotta, yep, gotta yep. read that one. It's going on the shelf, yep. <laughs> and then her last book, I think, right? She just has the three. Yeah, I think it's just the three. Mm-hmm. So her last book is called um, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? And this is a book answering some of the more interesting questions she's received about death. Uh, during her time as a death care professional. Um, I've read a little bit of this because it is like one of those, 
it, it's like a toilet book, you know, like the mm-hmm. books that they have next to the potty that you just flip through and you're like, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I flipped through it when I got it and I read some of the things I flipped to the will of the cat eat my eyeball section. And yeah, she literally just talks about, um, yep. Yep. They will do that. Yes. <laughs> Cats have no loyalty after you die. Zero. <laughs> they're hungry um but it is it's a fun it's one of those fun reads that's like oh you like death stuff like here's a fun you know christmas gift or whatever i i i think it's really just kind of um entertaining and and interesting and you know she does her research and she knows what she's talking about so most of the stuff that she answers is definitely you know it's going to be accurate you don't have to worry about that so Gem, do you know what time it is? It is soapbox time. Soapbox time. (laughs) (laughs) So um, this has been something I've wanted to touch on for a while because we do bring her up so often. I just kind of like want to set the tone of like where I agree with her and where I don't. And like, honestly, I I congratulate Caitlin on the strides that she's made to bring positivity to death and to take away that like scary shroud bestowed. Uh, by today's society but like I, I really don't agree with all of her viewpoints um, she's always mentioned the outcome of the ceremony and the body is up to the family at the end of the day and as we all should support as death care professionals that's that's how we all should look at it but I feel because like she does tend to swing so far left with some of her ideologies it like steams roll it steamrolls over a lot of like the middle of the road persons like it's 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 very left leaning, which is is a little difficult for some people to digest, I think. And mm-hmm. um, like even if if death positivity was accepted by everybody, there's still those, especially like in the Western world, that might not be want to be involved in like preparation of their loved one, and would prefer like the convenience of just the funeral home taking over and taking care of the details, so they can just focus in on on, on their grief. Um, so like a kind of like a side note, something I found interesting, uh, when I was looking up, like I, I checked out her funeral home website and I looked up pricing on there and, um, it's actually like kind of comparable to some of the firms that I've worked for. So I thought like that was kind of interesting because I know she always mentions that like she thinks that things are overpriced and they are. This is something that... I will also just like say a little piece on because I like, you know, I do love the work that she does and I am very, you know, enamored by the work that she does a lot of the times. But I think that um, a lot of the times she doesn't address the the fact that death is not as accessible as she wants it to be and as she would like to make it out to be in terms of like low income families and, you know, people that, you know, can't afford to have a home burial or uh anything like this i just feel like that is that is a place where she is lacking more um coverage i guess Mm -hmm. you know she's always talking about death positivity and you know historical death events and like very interesting things and you know making death like a more palatable and comfortable subject to talk about but you know low-income families aren't trying to have a home viewing um you know it's it's stuff like that where it it kind of falls short i think with a lot of her content i can definitely agree with that um she also tends to go in on like embalming a lot and like advocating against embalming 
And like maybe this is just kind of like what was instilled in me, but I do I do still see there being a value in embalming, like especially for those who want to have services like much later than like the date of death and like are are uncomfortable with seeing like a deceased body in its natural state. Because embalming, like truly, it does give us the best chance of attempting to restore someone to like a more pleasant viewing state, especially if you're gonna have like a hundred of like hundreds of guests come to attend the visitation, and like not all of them are gonna be comfortable with how like an active death looks. And sometimes it's not an option. Um, there is a crisis right now as to where there are not enough forensic pathologists to do the work that is required of them. There are a lot of high-density population areas where autopsies are delayed up to weeks. Um, I have heard of this in multiple areas, um, and it's really, really disheartening, but it's true. If you are a low-income family living in this metropolitan area and you're you know, son gets shot and you, the autopsy doesn't happen for four weeks, even if he's in a cooler, it's, it's not, you can't have a funeral without embalming, I feel. You could, but it would be extremely traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just stuff like that is where I, you know, it's, you just have to be careful with your research and, and what you, what you advocate for and what you say, because she has such a large platform and, you know, so many people look to her for, you know, all things death. I think you need to address some of these things as well. For sure. And like the last thing, like I'm done, I'm stepping off. Uh, the last thing I'll say on like some of her views, um, something that she actually brings up a lot is that uh, dead bodies are not inherently dangerous, which like I agree. Like I absolutely agree with that. I know the science behind it. Like even like decomp, like the bacteria that uh, aid decomposition, like they themselves aren't even really dangerous to living beings. Um, but there are things that make dead bodies uh, dangerous that we cannot neglect. So, like, people who have died with diseases like uh, tuberculosis, COVID, AIDS, hepatitis, stuff like that, uh, if there's a risk of bodily fluid contact, like if there was a trauma or an autopsy or, like, organ and skin donation, these bodies should be treated with cautious regard because you can contract those diseases from those bodies. And, like, even though these are a small percentage of death, we can't ignore this fact and pretend that, like, every untrained family member is prepared to deal with such a case like this. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, she does cover it a little bit, but she is very vocal about, you know, the body's not going to hurt you. Just keep it in your home. It's fine. Some cases that's fine. Some cases it's not. So, you know, just got to be careful about that. Exactly. Case by case basis always. But all of that, you know, ranting aside, she does make a lot of unknown knowledge extremely accessible for the common folk. And, like, I I really greatly look forward to her future advancements in uh, societal views on death and legislation reform regarding funerary practices. Like, there definitely needs to be more advocates like her. And she's done a lot of good. She's done a lot of good work, really. I I do love her. It's kind of like that, 
you know, you can love your friend and like hate some of the things that they do. And that's totally fine. <laughs> All right. Exactly. But, yeah. I mean, everyone can always do better. Um, you know, she's not like the perfect death advocate and that's totally fine. But the work that she is doing and the moves she is making for the death care industry is really incredible. She's, yeah, like Red said, she's gotten legislation passed for certain aspects of alternative and green burials. Um, I She also has like a podcast called Death in the Afternoon that I've listened to all of, and I would uh, check out if you want to. It's more historical, um, but, you know, it's more of her content that I very much enjoy. So she's a great person um, to look up to, and I think she has a lot of good things to say about death. Um, but also just remember to keep keep a critical eye, you know, on anything involving that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, like, all-seeing uh, power about these these things. So it's always good to further your own research as well. So after all these books that, like, I crammed through and that we've read along the way, like, I've learned a lot from the books that I read for the purpose of this episode. Like, I think some of my biggest takeaways are to, like, educate yourself and, like, be open to new information, even when it changes and challenges things that you know. So, like, be skeptic. Try things that make you uncomfortable. Yeah, like I said, it's good to... uh read and expose yourself to new things but i always like to remain critical and make sure that you know your mind should be open but your thoughts also need to be your own it's okay if you don't agree with everything that everyone's saying it's okay if you don't agree that funeral directors should be telling like funny stories about deceased people um but you know definitely keep an open mind and um these books are a great way to kind of uh, delve into the death industry without getting your hands dirty so to speak <laughs> And we're, we're really hoping to do like more book reviews and things like that as the year progresses, like maybe having mini-sodes with them or like doing a book club type segment during other topics. So there's there's so much media out there and we really hope as we discover them, we can help you guys discover them too. And that's all for this week on Mort Mike. We'd like to connect with you guys on our socials. So like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Mort Mike Podcast. It would mean a lot to hear your feedback, so please tell us what you think in a comment and drop us a rating on whatever podcast hosting site that you use. If you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about or burning questions that you might have on death, shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com. I also want to give a huge thank you to our friend Marcin for the use of his song titled Deputies of Death, which he produced just for our show. You can check out his bandcamp at marcinmusic.bandcamp.com. Thank you, Marcin. And be sure to tune in the first Thursday of every month for more casual discussions on death. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been Mort Mike. Bye. Bye.